Quite honestly, I am very proud of Studio 222, this wonderful after-school ministry that we created that really is helping children graduate high school, graduate college. I mean, the first in their family, it is changing their lives and changing the world. It's exciting to see what we've done there. You're going to be hearing about El Sistema. It's only three years old now, but already 220 children are participating in that. We started in the elementary ages, had started younger with them. They're learning how to play musical instruments, make incredible music. They are good. But far more important than becoming great musicians, we're able to track their test scores and we work with the schools and what we see is their scores are going up. Their attendance improves. Their confidence is improving. Their world is changing. You're going to be hearing about Rancho Village, elementary school that we've adopted. It's with our satellite, St. Luke's Asbury. We're working with it from the downtown campus. We now provide mentors and reading buddies. Again, we've been watching test scores go up. We're providing supplies for teachers and working on the school. We're going to be starting an after-school soccer program. We now have hundreds of kids who are participating in these kinds of programs and it is making such a difference in their lives. But we're trying to teach them all those fundamental values you need to have for life. And some of that's how you get along with other people. What does it mean to be a good person? We've been trying to teach them that it's not okay to bully other people. You don't bully other people. You don't make fun of other children. You don't mock other kids. You don't speak badly about other children. You don't call other children names. You don't call other children liars and losers. And you just don't do that. That's what I try to teach my children. That's what my parents taught me. But I have to admit, it's a little more difficult teaching our children that right now when you look at those who are running for president of the United States. We tell our children, you don't mock people. You don't make fun of people. You don't call people liars and losers and all kinds of other names. We're trying to teach them to do something different. Now, I have to be honest, I've been very distressed by what I've seen so often among our political candidates and the things they're doing and saying. But I've kind of moved beyond that now to where I've become disturbed about our country and all the people who seem to be getting caught up in that, who seem to be responding to those kinds of messages. So I spent some real time trying to think about why are these things happening? And you know, there are some really very good reasons I think there are good reasons. I think sometimes it's because many people are fed up with political correctness. It is important to be sensitive to people's feelings, but you know, political correctness can be carried to absurdity, and sometimes I think we all get tired of that. I think there's a real issue of fear. I mean, when you think about it, I, we've lived through 9-11. We've lived through the shootings out in California. I mean, there is a reason that 
people can play on our fears. We worry about terrorism and will it come so close to home? I mean, it's easy to feel out of control. You look at what we're living through right now in our oil industry right here in Oklahoma because of things that are happening in the Middle East that we cannot control. It's easy to play on our fears of what could happen and the things that are happening we don't control. And I think some of the reasons that people buy into it is because of our media. I mean, I think our media fosters and is excited when people get mad at one another. It's good for ratings. I mean, you look at all these debates we're having. For goodness gracious sakes, how many debates does it take for us to know what a candidate thinks? Now, we've had so many that we're now down to that final point that the only reason to have a debate is so we can see who's going to challenge and sling mud. And man, oh man, you can just watch the next day the media gets so excited. It was the meanest yet. And they're just thrilled. Did you know that in Canada, they have a law that a national campaign for presidency has to take a minimum of 36 days. And on average, they do take longer than that. The last one took 78 days. 78 days, 11 weeks, they could make up their mind they were ready to vote. Ours can go on two years. And what it simply lends itself to is becoming more and more rude, mean, angry with one another. And I think that our, our media helps to foster that. I think one of the reasons we sometimes get frustrated and angry and respond is because of what's happened in our culture. It was in 1992 on MTV that we first had our first reality TV show. Real people zooming into people's homes, seeing how they treat each other. And and the more they would get angry and say mean things, the better the ratings were. It was 15 years ago in the year 2000 that we began to say it's okay to lie and to cheat in order to vote someone off the island. 15 years now of the recent reality shows where people don't treat each other very nice. But you can take it all the way back 45 years ago to 1971, all in the family. How many people watched Archie Bunker slinging such insults, such zingers and being so mean and catty? And the more he got good at slinging those zingers, the better the ratings would be. We've lived for 45 years with our sitcoms and then reality shows that have said it's okay to be rude and here's the way that we do this. I think sometimes the reason that we've bought into all the anger and frustration and is because there is a sense of cynicism at the way things go on in Washington and our politics. Here we had a Supreme Court Justice, Scalia, die. And immediately the Republicans jumped up and said, we will not entertain an, a nomination for a new Supreme Court Justice until after the election is over. And the Democrats hollered, foul we got a year to go. That's not right. And I'm sure you've seen, like I have, the video that's come out showing Joe Biden in 1972 when the Republicans were in power, and he is saying, we will not entertain a nomination for the Supreme Court until after the election. 
And the Republicans were crying, foul! 180 degrees opposite. Both have held the opposite side purely based on where were they in power. And sometimes I think we are wanting them to go, could you get together and do what's right for the country? And that leads to a sense of cynicism, frustration, anger, and so people lash out. You know, I think there's a lot of reasons that things are happening the way they happen. I understand those, but I still got to say, it's still not okay to be rude. It is still not okay to be unkind and to call people names. That's not who we are. This morning, I want to continue on with this sermon series, Running in the Wrong Direction. And what we said we're going to do during the season of Lent is we're going to get honest about our lives. We're going to look at our own lives and examine our lives and see those things that we get afraid of and angry about and makes us want to lash out and we go running in the wrong direction. We get lost. And what we've said we want to do is examine our lives so we can figure out where we're running and how do we run to God and find out where we are and who we are. It's part of the Kindness Project for 2016. We've said all year long, you and I are going to be living out this project of trying to do an act of kindness every day. We've passed out our bracelets and we wear our bracelets and change them whenever we do a kind thing that day, go out of our way. We move the coin in our pocket if that's what you do. We have our calendars. I hope you're reading them. And every day you and I choose to go out of our way to do something kind to family, to friends, to strangers. It's based on Jesus saying, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. It's because we've been loved by Christ. You and I choose to be the people who go out and love others and we choose to do something kind. In our scripture lesson this morning, We're in the 14th chapter of Mark. I said we're going to stay in Mark 14 this entire Lenten season. And we're at the very beginning of Mark 14, and it says it's two days before the Passover. And Jesus has come to Bethany, and He sits down to have dinner with His disciples. And it says He's staying in the home of Simon the leper. And then a woman comes in. She has no name. She has this very expensive jar of perfume, nard if you will, and she breaks the jar so it cannot be used again and pours it on Jesus' head. It's what you would do to anoint a body for burial. The disciples see what's going on and they become angry saying, that could have been sold for 300 denarii. 300 denarii is a year's wages of a common laborer. It was a lot of money. And they say, we could have sold this and given it to the poor. Now let's understand what's going on. Jesus has been talking about suffering and dying. Last week we looked at how he talked about it and Peter said, I don't want to talk about it. None of the disciples wanted to talk about it. This woman heard it. She understood that Jesus was talking about suffering and dying. And so she came and poured the ointment on him. The disciples They didn't see it. 
That's not what they wanted to hear. They were there to celebrate the Passover. You remember what the Passover was about? The Passover is when God acts in history and redeems the people of Israel from captivity in Egypt. They overthrow the Egyptians and the people of Israel are set free. They're now in Jerusalem and they're in captivity to Rome. They believe Jesus is the Messiah. They have just had Palm Sunday with thousands of people waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna. They have momentum. They have the crowds. They know Jesus will form an army and establish the kingdom of Israel. It's the time to celebrate God acting in history and freeing the people of Israel now from Rome. That's what they're waiting for. James and John have been arguing who gets to sit at the right hand, who gets to sit at the left hand of Jesus when he comes into power. That's what they're looking for. Power, a kingdom, Jesus to form armies. And Jesus is over here talking about suffering and dying. And a woman is anointing him for burial. You have these two total different visions. What's happening? And so when Jesus does not move towards the army two days now before the Passover, and he's still talking about dying and being anointed, it comes to the end and Judas has had it. He's followed Jesus for three years, waiting for something big to happen, and now's the moment and he's talking about dying and Judas gets up and he winds up going to the authorities. And there he seeks to betray Jesus. Now scholars have said, we don't know whether Judas left just because he was so angry and frustrated and he basically says, I've had it. You want him, you can have him. Or as a part of that frustration and anger, he lashes out and he hopes that it's a calculated move that Jesus will be pushed into a corner and come out swinging. And finally, they'll form an army. Whatever, we know that that story butts right up to being anointed for death. It's the very next statement. And he goes and betrays Jesus out of frustration and anger. And when Jesus is taken and crucified, Judas feels so bad. And he goes out and he hangs himself. How many of us have gotten frustrated because we can't get other people to do what we want them to do? They don't think like we think. They won't do what we want them to do. We get frustrated. We get angry and we lash out. And then we wind up feeling bad about it because we've been running the wrong direction. So what do you and I do? In this kind of a time and in our world, what do you and I choose to do? I just want to share with you two thoughts this morning. First of all, I believe you and I have to choose, make a commitment to show respect to all people. To operate from a fundamental belief that everybody is a child of God. And that even though people might think different, <clears throat> even though people might look different or believe different, we choose to treat them with respect because we believe everybody is a child of God. Last year, I told you a lot about Orville and Wilbur Wright. 
we had a sermon series going on, Inventing the Future, and we talked about them. Such an amazing two guys. They were people of great faith. Their father had been a bishop in the Evangelical United Brethren Church. They grew up in church, people of great faith. It was December 17, 1903, when they flew that first little bi-wing airplane, changed the world. It wasn't until 1908 that Wilbur would take the airplane and go to France and to Europe and begin to put on demonstrations. The world did not believe they had actually flown. It wasn't until Wilbur went around on tour in 1908 they began to say, oh my goodness. Back home was Orville and his sister Catherine. We had a hard time getting in the United States to get excited and believe it. It was amazing. They suddenly became international heroes. The world was at their feet. They were being given so many things, and it totally did not affect them. I mean, Wilbur was over there, and he was making all these flights, and, and people were coming, the king of Spain, the king of England. They were all having special times. It was in early 1909 that Catherine and, and Orville went as well. They got over there, and the three of them were together It was a wonderful time. Catherine had more hours flying in an airplane than any woman in the world. And after he would give these demonstration flights, then he would start taking up a few lucky passengers who wanted to fly. And it was interesting to see what began to happen. There was a man, Lord Northcliffe. He'd become friends with the Wrights. He was there one day when a man came up to him. He was a man from Philadelphia. He was very wealthy and he said, I'm going to get to go fly. And he said, Wilbur determines who flies. I know, I know, but I got a lot of money. I'm going to fly. And he said, well, I'd like to be there to see how you negotiate this. And he later writes, the man did not fly. No, you see, Wilbur never sold a ride. He never took money for taking people on an airplane flight. He could have made a fortune. But he did not charge to go on an airplane flight. No, he would choose. And he chose men and women. He chose old and young. He chose rich and poor. He wanted lots of different people to experience flight because he believed that everybody should be treated with respect and everybody was a child of God. Not just the powerful or the wealthy. Everybody. Everybody should be treated with that sense of respect. As members of this family of faith, you and I talk about this all the time. How we believe all people should be treated with respect, even if they are different. Whether they are Jewish or Muslim. Whether they are black or white or brown or red whether we are gay or straight, whether a legal immigrant or an illegal immigrant, we may disagree about things and there may be issues to work through, but everybody is a child of God and deserves fundamentally to be treated with a sense of respect. It is who we are, and it's what we're going to try to do as a family of faith. You know, I, I quoted to you a couple of weeks ago about Martin E. Moeller, who 
was standing up against Hitler. And as he stood up against Hitler because he thought he was wrong, he got thrown into jail. But he made the comment in jail, he said, you know what I've discovered is that my enemies are not God's enemies. In fact, God's enemies are not his enemies. Go home and think about that one. That though we might disagree and though we might have issues to deal with, we are fundamentally first God's children who deserve to be treated with respect. Our goal is to get to know one another and not label people into categories of them. Because when people are them, then it's easy to to be prejudiced and to be angry and to strike out. I love the old story about Walt Disney. He had two daughters, you know, and his oldest daughter, Diane, um, when she finally got old enough to go to school, there the kids broke the news to her. She came home one day and said, "Um, Daddy, are you Walt Disney? (laughs) And, And Walt said, well, yes, honey, I am. No, no, Daddy, I mean, are you the Walt Disney? And he said, well, yes, I am. And she said, why didn't you tell me? Can I have your autograph? (laughs) And Walt loved to tell the story and would make the point of saying how often we don't know the people who live closest to us. How often you and I do not know the people who live closest to us. It's easy to clump them into a they and make judgments. We said we are going to try to treat people with respect. Everyone is a child of God, and we will have our discussions and work things out from there. But so secondly, you and I have to make a commitment, accept responsibility to live our values. Accept the responsibility to live our values. We have said, Jesus commanded us, to love one another as I have loved you because we have been loved by Christ and we are called to go love other people. Our value at St. Luke's is very clear. We are going to share God's love and bring hope to the world. When we talk about doing that, then you and I make a commitment every day that we say we're going to go out of our way to show kindness and love to somebody. We cannot change the world, and I cannot get everybody else to act the way I want them to act, but I can take responsibility for how I act. To accept responsibility that I will choose to do something kind, to love others because I've been loved by Christ. If you go back to the scripture, it's fascinating that it begins by saying Jesus came and was staying at the house of Simon the leper. And then it goes on to talk about the woman and tells the story that statement has nothing material to do with the story. The scholars have said, why do you say he's coming to Simon the leper's house and then you tell the story and never mention him again? Scholars do not know who Simon was. So why did Mark include it? I think it's pretty simple. A leper was the outcast. A leper was the lowest on the social scale. If you had leprosy, you could not live with people. You had to live out in the country and cry unclean. You were the outcast. You were the low. Now we're sure Jesus, I would think, would have healed Simon the leper. 
But isn't it interesting, even though you get healed, you're still known as Simon the leper. And so Jesus comes to stay in his house. The people of power, the people of wealth, the people who were high in the religious hierarchy would not stay in Simon the leper's home. You had people, the disciples, who were focused on power and armies and wealth. Mark wanted to create a juxtaposition here between here's what we're focused on. We're going to make people. We have power. Sit at the right hand. And Jesus says, I'm at the house of Simon the leper. Jesus would continue to live his values even though other people wanted him to do something different. You and I may receive pressure, but we must live our value. And our values are to share God's love and bring hope to the world. You get to choose how you do that. What it looks like for you to take responsibility and do something. I read a great story about a lady named Gloria Wilde Brathwaite. Gloria is an amazing lady. She lives up in Washington, D.C. It turned out that she um, is a pediatrician. She has two offices in the back of a 32-foot bus. Her driver is her mechanic and receptionist. She has one assistant, and each day she drives down to the poorest part of Washington, D.C., so mothers can bring their children to get medical care. Most cannot afford to pay anything. Some are cocaine addict mothers. Some are working two and three jobs. She takes care of the children. The fathers are usually absent. Many are in prison. Now, she's there to take care of the children because she says they are the innocent. What did they do? Why did they deserve this? Look what's happening to them. She is there to try to care for them and to do what she can. And she tries to take care of them, but not just physically, but also emotionally and mentally and spiritually to try to cast a vision for these kids about what could be. When it comes to the end of the day, quite often she goes, sits in her car and she just cries and cries until finally she can cleanse her soul and be able to drive home and kind of get on with the day. Why does she do it? When she was three and a half years old, her father left her mother. He was an alcoholic. He was abusive. He left the family and her mom had three children. She would work two and sometimes three jobs to keep a roof over their head and food on their table. She worked as a taxi cab dispatch person and if she couldn't have someone, she would bring her children to spend the night with her there on a sofa and on a floor because she was determined they would not stay home alone. They understood the value. We're going to go to school. We're going to get an education. And we're going to learn how to treat people. And so Gloria grew up and she went to school and she managed to graduate high school, the first one ever in her family. And there were teachers who encouraged her, and she went to college. And when she got to college, then she went on to medical school, and she said, it scared me to death. No one in my family had done anything like this. And so she graduated from medical school as a pediatrician, and she knew it was her responsibility to go back to all the children where she had been, to be there to bless life, to share love, and bring hope 
She is there not just to try to help them physically, as I said, but to help cast a dream. I want to read you what Gloria says. I tell them, if you work hard, study hard, and make sacrifices, you can really get somewhere. That's not a lie. It may not be easy, but it's not a lie. At some point in your life, you have to be willing to take the garbage that's been handed to you and make something out of it. Only you can decide what that something is. You and I must make commitment and be responsible to live our values. To share God's love and bring hope to the world. To let God use us to do something kind and good in the world in spite of all the garbage that may be handed to us. we got to make something out of it. And only you can decide what that something is. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.